Welcome to the 45th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Ariel Lee. Ariel went to college but dropped out after a semester due to having a child. She made the decision to go to work since doing everything at once would be overwhelming. She figured she could always go back to school after working a couple of years. She looked at her newspaper one day and saw an ad. Unlimited earning potential. It was a job ad for a car salesperson. She never looked back. She eventually made six figures with her professionalism and hard work. Listen to follow Ariel's journey and learn how she moved up the chain in the car sales industry. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Ariel, can you give the audience a brief introduction about the things you've done in the past? Sure. So my background kind of weird the way I got into it, but I literally dropped out of college at 19, got pregnant and married, and that lasted about six months. And I moved home to be with my mom. And this is going to make me sound like I'm 100 years old, but I was looking at a newspaper to find a job and read unlimited income potential to come sell cars. So I went and interviewed and started as a car salesman at a Dodge Chrysler dealership. Right? Do they still call? What Sales do they call? Woman, so, yeah, right. You know, Car sales I'm very, person. You know, I'm very cognizant, right? Because a lot of things are salesmen, but you know, it it is right. Well, so I'm not. That's and yeah. I think it's the car business that like desensitizes you. Like, you, there's yeah. nothing in the world that anybody can say that that yeah. offends me. But so I guess I was a salesperson, saleswoman. But so I got started doing that in 2008, okay. um, which was like three months before Chrysler declared bankruptcy. So that oh, was man. fun, but sold cars and um, really, really enjoyed it. It was just so much fun getting to meet so many different types of people. And I worked my butt off. Like I was six days a week. I was always there. But anyway, I only sold cars for about two years before I was promoted into a finance manager role, which they're the ones that handle the the bank loans and the title work and all of that kind of stuff. And so you're called a manager, but you're really not you're not like leading a team. You're not managing people. You're just managing yourself, but it's a lot of money at a really quick early age for me. It was not a healthy thing, but I did that for about the next eight years in the car business. And then the last three years of my career, I was a general sales manager who are the people that manage the finance manager, salespeople, sales managers, all of that, pretty much everything in a car dealership other than the service department. So okay. That was my last. So let's kind of go back and you know just kind of share general trends and stuff. So when they said unlimited, what did you go to college <laughs> for? Right? What did you go to college for? Well, and that was kind of the problem. I think my major at the time, again, I was a freshman when I dropped out, so yeah. nobody really knows what they want to do when they're yeah. 18, 19 years old. But I went in as a business major because I had no passion at the time. Mm-hmm. I had no interest. I had no like, this is what I want to do with yeah, the rest yeah. of my life. I just liked money and I felt like a business degree would be the thing to do to make sure that I always made a lot of money. But that's a pretty vague thing. And that's like looking back at it as an adult, I'm like, that was the most ridiculous thing ever to have to make a decision like that at 18 years old. And you're, you know, shelling out all this money to do it. But yeah, so I'm I'm pretty sure that my major at the time was business management, but it wasn't really. Yeah. So when you dropped out, like what went through your mind? Because obviously, you know, one of the reasons that people don't complete school is like you have a kid. It's just so hard to manage. I blame it on my daughter, honestly, but I was kind of a perfectionist. I graduated high school with like an over 4.0 GPA. 
I'd been a straight A student my whole entire life. And I made a B in one class in college. I was working two jobs because I was paying my own college. And this was an 8 a.m. class that I had skipped a few times. And so I made a B in that class because evidently I missed some important information. And so that was the emphasis for dropping out. I was like, okay, well, if I can't dedicate everything to this, if I can't be the best at this, then I'm just not going to do it. And what I said to myself at the time was, let me just take a step back, work, save up money, and then I'll go back eventually when I can refocus myself to this. And then as I moved on in the car business, it it just became apparent that I was making more than enough money and it didn't really make financial sense to take a step back from a career that was paying me well to spend money to go to school to get a piece of paper that wouldn't really further my career. No, I I think you, that's a very smart way to look at it. You looked at it as a business decision and it just didn't make sense because you're walking away from a healthy salary. So when you saw that newspaper in the ad, what went through your (laughs) mind? Because I see a lot of newspaper ads, right? And it's like unlimited income potential. What went through your mind? Like how did, you know, why was it that one and not another ad? And that's the thing. I live in South Carolina. So we're, we're small town, low cost of living. So I'm looking at newspaper ads that I qualify for at 20, 19 or 20 years old that are like $10 an hour, $12 yeah. an hour. And then I stumble across one that's like six figure unlimited income earning potential, earn what you're worth. I can't remember exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. what it said, but it w- it became very apparent that like you're going to earn however hard you choose to work is what you're going to make. And that just really appealed to me. Like I can work hard. I can, you know, yeah. I can figure stuff out. So I don't know what it was about that particular dealership that stood out. I mean, really in the car business, you could go anywhere. But for whatever reason, that was the ad that caught my attention. And it it worked out. It set me on a a decent path. (laughs) That's cool. So now let's kind of take what is really unlimited income, right? Because nobody can make unlimited income. You can make a lot of money. So what's realistic (laughs) for like a first year car salesperson? Well, and what's funny, it's probably one of the biggest ranges that you can ever hope to imagine. Car salesmen, at least in my area, make minimum wage for every hour they work, right? Okay. But then it's offset by their commission. So you make one or the other. It's like they're required to pay you minimum wage, but if you make more in commission, you make more. But it's really what you make of it. So there are car salesmen that start out and they make two or $3,000 a month, and they're lucky to get that. And I probably struggled for about five or six months as you're yeah. getting your getting your skill sets yeah, formed, yeah, yeah. right? Like sales is not necessarily a natural thing. You have to learn learn how to approach people and learn how to build those connections so that you're not just selling to one person today, you're selling to their whole family throughout yeah, yeah. the next few years. So it took a little bit of time to build that up, but I quickly, pretty quickly was in that hundred thousand dollar a year range nice. as a salesperson. And then as as you move up in management, it, it goes up from there. It's definitely possible, but it and I can only imagine, I mean, again, this was 12, 13 years ago. So it's probably more challenging now. Yeah. Um online it, has it definitely... requires a lot more things like what we yeah. know on LinkedIn, right? Building your brand, building your social media presence, all of that was not really a thing back then. It was kind of in its infancy in terms of having something that was important that way, but it's definitely possible to make a great living. What else did you struggle with in the first five, six months? So it was learning sales. Was that your first real job or did you have some work throughout high school? 
So I definitely, I always worked. Um, yeah. I worked restaurants. I was a hostess and a waitress at like TGI Fridays and Chili's. Yeah. Those were my first jobs. And then I was actually a front desk supervisor at a Marriott hotel before I decided to um, move back in with my mom. So I really enjoyed that. It's funny. I've always picked jobs that are like, you don't get holidays, like hotels, the yeah. 365, seven yeah, day yeah, a week yeah. business. And, and then the car business is kind of similar. Like you're off on Thanksgiving and you're off on Christmas and that's pretty much it. But yeah, so I did have jobs before that, but they were very clerical or, you know, not sales is psychology. So yeah. you really have to have to kind of hone that craft and figure out what people want to hear and go from there. What skills would you say those other jobs kind of helped you with? Because you obviously didn't come in with zero skills, right? You you had to learn the sales side, but what like the hostess job and all the clerical jobs, what did it help you with? The biggest thing for me was just reinforcing the importance of showing up. I have always felt very strongly that you can't be successful if you're not going to show up. So, you know, be early, like five minutes early is barely on time and yeah. always go above and beyond. You know, when I was leading a team, it's like, do things that you're not being paid for. Learn yeah. new skills. Go outside the box. I had an amazing, amazing manager at my hotel job. She was just so inspiring. She had kind of a similar background to me, like started having kids when she was 18. But then she grew up into this really amazing boss woman. And she just taught me the importance of always putting in the work, that nothing is handed to you. Uh, you just show up and do the work. Looking back, do you think there could have been any way that instead of taking five to six months to kind of really hit the ground running, do you think there was anything, maybe any books you could have read or did stuff or you just kind of have to go through that for five to six months? I mean, there were definitely, and, and I think now especially, there's so many YouTube videos and stuff out there. Like for someone that wants to start a career in the car business, there is a wealth of information out there. But I think part of it is just learning by doing. You have to go through that because building up your clientele, building up your client base yeah. to use like a corny sales term, filling your funnel, you know, not everybody you're going to talk to today is going to be in the market immediately. But as long as you're talking to everybody so that everybody in your circle knows who you are, what you do and where to find you when they need you, it's eventually going to circle down to the bottom of that funnel. And all of a sudden you'll start having more business than you know what to do with. And I do think that takes time. Yeah. It's definitely like a rough business. How was it different <laughs> being a female in the car business, right? Because car business is just, like you said, you, you're used to hearing everything, yeah. and, right? <laughs> so what are some things that if you would advise like sort of women entering the industry, what are some things that they need to know to be ready for or to do to set themselves apart? So from a female perspective, I would just say own your advantage. I think that women have such a natural... We're more empathetic just by nature, which yeah. makes us way better at sales. Sorry, no, no offense. But just yeah. I think that women have a natural sort of almost wolf in sheep's clothing thing. Like yeah. if you're a woman that knows what she's doing, almost everyone would rather deal with me than you. Yeah. I'm way less threatening than you are. Yeah. So yeah, if true. you're a family walking up to a dealership or a single guy or a single woman, they almost always are going to be less threatened and more likely to trust me just because of the way I look. And yeah. that's natural bias. Yeah. So I think that a woman coming in, if she is aware of that and cognizant of it, it can really be used to her advantage. 
you do have to have thick skin. Like it's not, and I don't even know if it's politically correct to say this, but there are going to be conversations that take place that it's not an office environment for sure. It's it's a car lot and things are said and you just have to let it roll off your back and, and try to find a balance between being one of the guys, but not letting it get too out of hand. Yeah. So what are some things that you kind of did to sort of make sure that you got ahead? Uh, you know, other than the show up every day, other than what are some like other things that you sort of did to set yourself apart? Really just maintaining the relationships with my clients, most yeah. importantly. Um, and I still like I'm not even in the car business anymore. I'm not I can't talk about what I do now yeah. um, for compliance reasons. But those relationships, like literally people that I sold cars to in 2008 are still people that are clients of mine now that yeah. call me and text me Merry Christmas. So I think that that's at the center of everything that I've always done is making sure that I prioritize creating a positive relationship and a positive experience for those customers so that they remember me and not only come back when they're in need of something that I can help them with, but also speak highly of me to their friends and family in that way. Who are some people? And again, because I had a used car salesman who's a guy, so I kind of want to have get the different perspective. So gotcha. you know, that's why I'm kind of asking you. So who are some type of women that struggle in the car industry that you kind of see, like they see the ad and they leave after five, six months or they leave. They're like, this is not for me. So the type of woman that is easily offended is definitely not going to fit well, not going to just not going to fit into the atmosphere and not going to be willing to accept the constructive criticism that sometimes needs to come in your first few months in the business. Yeah. Anybody who thinks that they know everything or, you know, think that they don't need correction, that's going to be tough. And also women who think that they shouldn't have to do the same work as the men. Like everybody wants to talk about equal pay, but there are a lot of women that I've seen come and go in the car business that think that they shouldn't have to be out there moving cars in 100 degree weather because they've got on five inch heels. And, you know, the guys get to wear khakis and polo shirts and tennis shoes and if you're there, if your job title is the same, then you're out there working. I don't care what kind of shoes you have on. So. I guess you got to bring an extra pair of shoes, right? To drive. Yeah, right. right. Or or know how to walk. Yeah. I don't know what to say. I wore I wore heels every day of my life in that business. So it's, it's weird now that I work at home and I'm in pajamas all day. But it definitely, you have to do the same kind of work. Yeah. Now, you've been in the business for some time. How has social media, because you kind of came in at the time where social media was sort of rising, especially on the business side. How has that really changed your industry? Because now it's like 2008, people were in Googling car prices across the dealership right. a lot. Now in front of you, they can be like, well, this dealer has it for this much, or they can pull up the emails on their phone. So how has that really impacted the business? There's two different answers for that. So there's an answer from the dealership perspective, which Again, as my last job as a general sales manager, I was responsible for the the marketing and the pricing yeah. strategies and all of that. And and my personal philosophy was always just to make sure you put your best price out online from the get-go because yeah. people are so likely just to Google and, and you're not going to ever get that customer in front of you if you're not advertising your absolute best price. I believe pretty firmly in transparency, which I feel like is important for dealerships, but a lot of people don't agree with that. So that's kind of a a rift in the business, whether you advertise crazy, stupid low prices that aren't realistic or advertise deals that everybody can qualify for. But in terms of social media, from like if you're just starting out as a salesperson, being able to build that brand awareness 
for you personally, not just your dealership or not just the brand that you happen to sell, but creating an experience around who you are as a person um, and what kind of service that you provide to your customers is going to be huge going forward. I think probably the last three or four years, that's been key. It wasn't something that I really dabbled in too much because when I was selling cars, it wasn't wasn't a thing. And by the time I moved up into management, I wasn't quite so worried about making sure that everybody knew who I was and what I did. But it is definitely... I think it would be very difficult to be successful without it now. (laughs) So you mentioned that you have to have thick skin and you have to be able to take constructive criticism. What's some constructive criticism that you received that was like hard to take, but now looking back, you're like, I needed to hear that, especially in the beginning. Well, it I didn't really get constructive criticism in the beginning. My <laughs> sales manager was kind of a jerk. He, yeah. uh, and it's funny, it made me embrace. Like, so my name is Ariel, right? Yeah. And he would he kind of cussed at me in the beginning. He's like, I don't care if you're the only girl that works here. If you're the only girl that's ever worked here, if somebody doesn't know your name when they walk in, it's not your customer. So that really got me, you know, every single person that left the building that I didn't sell on that first trip was like, so my name's Ariel, like the mermaid. So you can't forget it. And that led me to like embrace who I am and kind of my personal brand. So not, not necessarily in a social media way, but just embracing what made me different, what made me unique. But no, there were lots of it. And I sold like 20 or 25 cars a month. And I still got the, you're so lazy. You could have done this. You could have done that. I don't think that most managers are like that anymore. Um, But I I think that there's kind of been a um, coming around where people know how to talk to people a little bit better. Um, But yeah, my my entry experience into it was a little... (laughs) Is that common in the industry? I don't think it is anymore. I think it was then. I think there was a pretty radical shift of you lazy piece of crap, go get my Starbucks. That was that was what I got to deal with. But but again, it built me into a stronger person, I guess. But that was not how I chose to manage my Yeah. No, I mean you learned (laughs) you did what you had to to get ahead and then you learned of how to change things so that other people don't experience what you went through. So now you got promoted after two years. Is that common or it's that like, what's the typical trajectory? I would say that it's not common. I was in kind of a weird situation where I had a sales manager leave. The finance manager became the sales manager. It was almost like a right time, right place thing. Yeah. Um, but I was constantly going above and beyond and doing things that I wasn't getting paid for. And so I was the first one that they thought of when it was time, you know, it's, my dealer literally came up to me and was like, Ariel, you're too GD smart to be out there selling cars with them boys. And and that was how I got moved into the finance office. So that was fun. But uh, I would say a typical trajectory is probably more like four or five years in sales. Yeah. And then you move through the finance and sales management positions. And I would say that that's probably better. Like yeah. in retrospect, I had a lot of frustrations as a 22, 23 year old kid trying to manage not just money, but responsibility and was not as grateful for that opportunity as I should have been yeah. because I didn't have to work long and hard for it. You know, I, I worked hard, but I didn't, I didn't yeah. have to struggle like yeah. some other people so did. What are some, so do a lot of people leave within the first year or two, like the industry, like they kind of see unlimited income and they leave. You mentioned that, Right, certain personalities are not, and certain attitudes don't really do well. Do a lot, a lot of people leave, and if so, like, what would you say, like, fraction or what's the percentage of people that leave 
within the first year or two? I would say probably 50% leave within the first couple years. And you can always tell those are the people who look at like, I've always, always said that car sales is the absolute worst job in the history of the world. (laughs) It's a very fulfilling career. If you look at it as a long-term thing that you're going to pour your soul into and, and really care about grooming those relationships with your customers and building relationships with your coworkers so that you always have a network or a place to go then it can be really rewarding. But if you're looking at it as a place to go and clock in and clock out and go home, it's the worst because you're working a lot of hours. And if you're not building those skill sets, building that customer base, you're never going to make good money. And so it really, terrible job, great career. Okay. So now you <laughs> you got promoted to a sales manager. How was that? You mentioned it was a lot, of, lot more responsibility. And how was it different than being, you know, the person on the floor trying to sell to people? I was a finance manager. Oh, finance. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're fine. So um, it was great for me because my favorite part about being in sales was meeting new people. And when you're in finance, you're not only meeting the one or two people that you talk to every day when you're a salesperson, you're meeting every single person that comes to buy a car. And in sales, people can sometimes be a little standoffish or a little rude. And by the time they've agreed to buy the car, their guards are down a little bit. So they're in a good mood. They're happy. They're excited. They've made a good decision. So I really enjoyed that part of it. And in my area, especially there's a lot of credit challenges. So those, those were the hurdles and things that I wasn't quite equipped well for that, you know, it can be challenging. It's not just as easy. When you're in sales, you take the credit app and you get the commitment from the customer and say like, okay, boss, they're willing to pay $500 a month and they got $2,000 down and go to work. And you yeah. just, you're hands off at that point. And when you're in finance, it's, it can sometimes be a struggle to get those kind of deals approved. And, and that salesperson is relying on you to make that check. So yeah, if yeah. you can't get them approved. I mean, ultimately it's the customer's fault if their credit's not good. But anyway, every, everybody's relying on you to put the deal together and keep the deal together. So that can be a little stressful. Um, and finance is the last person to leave at the end of the night. So if your dealership is open until 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, then somebody sells a car at 7, you're there till 8.30 or 9 o'clock mm. getting the paperwork together. So you, so it, you stay longer than the salespeople. So you actually have to be absolutely. there before and kind of leave after. Absolutely. So it's very long hours, like 65, 70 hours a week. And at this point, I had a two, three-year-old child. It was exhausting. Um, yeah. And again, very financially rewarding. So okay. I, I can't say that I wouldn't do it all over again. Yeah. So what are some skills that are helpful to be the sales manager? Like, you know, you mentioned that you kind of got it at a younger age. So what are some things that people need to develop as they become a sales, while they're a sales manager? Or what are some helpful things to just sort of learn? I mean, finance manager. Well, I would say the same sort of relationship building skills, only now it's just as important that you're building them with your customers, but also your salespeople, because they're working for you. A a salesperson can derail whether or not a sales manager or a finance manager has success, but you have to be able to build that rapport with the customers a whole lot faster. So you're in there. The finance manager's job is to sell, you know, things like insurance products and extended warranties on the vehicle and Instead of having two hours to sell the car, you've got five or 10 minutes to convince somebody that they want to pay an extra $50 a month for these extra protection options. And um, so it just is a much quicker thing that has to take place in terms of building the value. But I would say organization is key. But 
building the relationships with customers, coworkers, and then ultimately your banks that are going to mm-hmm. be approving the deals. You have to make them fall in love with you too. So you have to manage also the additional mm-hmm. bank relationships. Yes, exactly. Now, how long were you the finance manager? About seven or eight years. Okay. So that was the majority of my career. I was in the finance office, but I wound up doing a lot of things that the general sales manager is normally responsible for, which is ultimately why I was put in that role when there was a opening. Sorry, I got nice. So you ended up getting promoted, right, to sales manager. How was that like, and how'd that happen? Well, it was a situation that um, my particular dealership went through a general sales manager about every 12 to 18 months. I had been there for a pretty long time. And every time a new GSM would come in, I would be the one that had to train them on how to do their job. And it wound up that I was just doing most of it anyway it was kind of an inside joke with me and some of the salespeople that had been there a long time like every other gsm that we had was just terrible they were either not nice people or they just did a really bad job and we had a gsm that was really really wonderful his name was bob belke and i loved him to death but he decided to relocate with his family so he left and i was like you know what every other one has been terrible and bob was great and that means that the next one is going to be awful and so i just basically approached my dealer like, I don't even want this job. It was never my end goal to be a general sales manager. I'm fine where I am. It's not really that much more money. It's a whole lot much more stress, but I'm doing a lot of the work anyway. And this is my home. I'm invested in you know the success of this dealership. And I want to make sure that we don't bring somebody else in that's going to be a bad fit. Uh, so I'm willing to do it if you guys would like me to. And that was kind of how that happened. It wasn't wasn't ever a career goal for me when I started yeah. out. Like, wasn't something that I wanted to do. It just wound up that way. Did you ever think you like? You said it was a career goal, like. But when you started, did you? You know, because a lot of people when they start, they're like, "Yeah, I want to be in that office." <laughs> did you ever have that, or you just kind of was like, oh, "I'll just take it as it comes." I really didn't, and that's part of why I'm not doing it anymore. Right? I I don't love managing big teams of people because I'm. I'm kind of a perfectionist in my personal life and it's hard for me to understand and communicate with people who don't have that same drive. Yeah. So if I've got 15 salespeople working for me and only three of them are motivated to, you know, get to work on time and post on Facebook like they should and, you know, do all the things that I think that it takes to be successful. And the other ones are having a hard time getting motivated no matter what I say or what I do. I'm just kind of like, I can't wrap my head around this. Like, why are you even here? If if you're not going to put your, your whole soul into it, then why even bother showing up? So that was ultimately where I was just like, okay, (laughs) I need to go do something else. I'm burnt out. But it definitely, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity, but it was not ever my end goal. It was just something that I did because I felt like I had to. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I mean, you all need a (laughs) career and you were definitely good at it. I mean, over the years, how have like coworkers and your managers described working with you? So my managers would always talk about, kind of say that that I'm a go-getter, that I figure out, you know, I find solutions to problems. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I don't know how to do that, unless I'm intentionally trying not to take on additional responsibilities, but I'm a, I'm a figure it out kind of person. My coworkers and the people that worked with me, 
like salespeople would probably, I'm, I can be a little bit bipolar, honestly, when I get stressed out, I am not pleasant to be around. I need everybody to be functioning at their yeah. best levels. But I'm also a lot of fun to work with when everything is flowing the way that it should be. So <laughs> that's not a, probably a good thing to admit. But yeah, I'm I'm easily stressed out. Um, but in that role, I always had, you know, 30 balls in the air that I'm juggling. And yeah. so it, if one thing gets thrown out of whack, it completely sets your whole day on fire. So it's always interesting. What advice would you have for people who are interested in car sales, right? Like, let's say they're sort of high school, 15 to 16 years old. What would you kind of advise them to do to sort of make sure that they get off the ground running if they are looking, you know, get into car sales at 18, 19? So I would say the most important thing is do look at it as a career. You know, I I don't expect any 18 or 19 year old to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives. But if you're going to do it, put your all into it and give it a realistic shot. Put a little bit more thought into where you want to go to work. Know that when you're interviewing at a car dealership, they're more likely to want to hire you more than you want to go to work there. So talk to several different places. Culture is super important, whether it's car business or anything else. The culture of where you're going to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week for the next few years of your life is important. So make sure that it's a good fit. Car business in particular, even in 2020 and going on into 2021, there are still some bad apples out there. So make sure that whoever you decide to come on board with to train you and be kind of your mentor aligns with your moral sector. You don't want to wind up working for somebody that believes in doing underhanded things if that's not your style. So what are some underhanded things that you can sort of share? You know, what are the red flags that people should look for in a dealership? One of the biggest things probably revolves around used cars and how they believe in reconditioning. You know, there are a lot of dealers that will cut corners on things in the service department to avoid spending excess dollars. I don't know how you could know that as an 18 or 19 year old kid interviewing, but you could ask the question, like, what are your beliefs around reconditioning used cars? And that would probably like throw them back in their seat, like, oh my gosh. But so that's a big one. Used car sales in general, just making sure that the vehicles that you're going to be selling are reliable and trustworthy. You don't ever want to put somebody into something that is not going to be safe for their family. I would say just make sure that they're transparent. Check their website. See what their pricing strategy is. If if they're advertising $20,000 discounts on things, that's probably not realistic. So chances are when the customers get there, a salesperson's job is going to be like, oh, shoot, man, you don't qualify for military and college students and all these other things. And that's going to be on the salesperson to have to deliver that bad news. And then they're going to be the ones feeling the brunt of the customer being pissed off when they get there and everything is not as it seems. So make sure that they value transparency because like the Carvanas and the CarMaxes of the world are are kind of taken over. So you need to be working for a dealership that understands the importance of a online presence and treating their customers the way that they should be treated. Are those the only sort of opportunities within the car, like car sales area, be, you know, the car salesperson on the floor you said sales manager. Are there any other opportunities after that or in parallel to that? So it probably depends on how the dealership is structured. Some places, um, the dealership that I ran was just salespeople. And then there were finance managers, sales managers. And then I was the general sales manager. 
there are some places that have like floor closers that is kind of a step in between a salesperson and a sales manager where they go in and just help the salespeople with the end negotiation. They're not the one out there actually like demonstrating and showing the vehicle, but they're the ones delivering the numbers. A lot of people find parallel. Like I know a bunch of salespeople that eventually got burned out on working the hours and decided to go over into service. People don't realize that the people that stand out there in that service lane, when you pull in to get your oil changed, they're basically salespeople too. They're there to convince you that, you know, you really do need new tires and you need to change that oil filter and, you know, all of those little things. They're there to sell you on those items as well. So that's a a transition that's pretty common when people get tired of working until eight or nine o'clock at night. They go over to the service department so they can get home for dinner. But sales, finance, sales manager, general sales manager. And then above that would be the general manager, which is over service and sales together. So you mentioned that, you know, six figures is reasonable for like a salesperson. Now, how does the salaries for finance manager look like and then sales manager? I would say only probably the top 10% of salespeople make like a six figure salary. It's not common. I, I say reasonable because I know it can be done, but I I don't think it's reasonable. I would say probably sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year is more realistic for a yeah. salesperson. Finance managers it varies so widely. Like I literally I know finance managers that make ten grand a month and I know some that make twenty grand a month. It just depends on what their dealership structure is and how yeah. many cars they deliver. Once you get up into management, you're looking at that one fifty yeah. range most likely. But it, again, it depends. Yeah, of course. I, I live in a pretty low cost of living area. You're up in New York, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's a different. So it's beast probably over here. way different. But like, just I mean, our average household income in the area of South Carolina I live in is thirty eight thousand dollars yeah. a year. Our average home price is one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. So it's yeah. very, um, so it's a very good living where I am from because yeah. it doesn't cost much to live here. <laughs> So you mentioned like the average is like 60 to 70 K. How many cars would that be in a month? Well, it depends on the commission structure, but I would say probably 15 to 20 cars a month. Which so you're selling like a, you that much money. So you're selling almost a car a day, right? That's like the goal. Per work day. Uh, yeah. Per work day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now the two to three K a month, you're probably selling like five to 10 a month, I guess. Yep. Right. And that's your average, like an average car guy does eight cars a month. That, average eight. That's okay. enough to not get you fired. <laughs> okay. Eight. So eight is the um not to get fired. And then yeah. once you're going 20 to 30, now you're hitting like the top 15 to 10%. Yes, for sure. And because, you know, there it's not just about the commissions you're making at that point. There are bonus structures that yeah, the yeah. dealerships offer too. But yeah, if you can do that kind of numbers, you're definitely making a good living. So, I mean, you sort of left the industry. Yeah. What were some career options or exit opportunities that you kind of were considering that were sort of available to you? So I really didn't consider much at all. Um, What I'm doing now that I can't talk about compliance. So check me out on LinkedIn. If you're curious what I'm up to now, I was blessed with the opportunity that it's not typically a job that's offered to people without college degrees, but they said that because of my quote career progression and life experience that that meant I was qualified, which I guess means I'm old and I've worked long enough now that college doesn't matter. But the only other option I really seriously considered was real estate because it's a similar, again, it's a relationship based business. Yeah. It's, you know, somewhat sales. I don't even really yeah. think of real estate as sales anymore. It's yeah. more kind of a concierge deal, but 
I actually, my husband semi-retired in June of 2019. He was in the car business and got burnt out as well. So we yeah. kind of both were just like, eh, screw this. So, yeah. um, but anyway, so I'm the only like solid income. He's flipping houses. Yeah. So I couldn't or didn't feel comfortable yeah. going with something like real estate that, you know, it, it's I'm rocky. very confident in my abilities. I believe I can do anything I set my mind to, but at the same time, it might've been six months before I yeah. got my first paycheck and, and I wasn't willing to, um, wasn't willing to go that route. So. Yeah. But that was really the only other thing besides what I'm doing now that I seriously yeah. consider. So what are some other things that you see in the industry that it's common, not you, but other people kind of what exit, what are some other areas that they kind of go into? So a lot of people um, go to work for banks. You could be a bank rep and that's just somebody that goes and visits car dealerships and talks to the finance managers, tries to build those relationships so that they get the deals. Um, they don't make quite as much money as the people actually in the dealership, but they have a lot more freedom, a lot better quality of life, which is the reason that I left. Yeah. Mostly, you could be a vendor, people that sell, whether it's search engine um, optimization analytics. Yeah. Like, There's so many different products, both online and physical products that are offered at the dealership. So you could be a vendor or a rep for any of those services as part of a transition out of the car business. That's really pretty much it. There's a lot of people defect to real estate. A lot of people go to the vendor side of things because it's helpful as a vendor to be able to come in and say, I sat in your seat. Here's what I think. And so have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree? I do sometimes when people ask me. So it's not that I feel self-conscious. I'm really kind of freaking proud of the life that I've built without one. Honestly, like I've, I've, I feel like I definitely could have turned out worse. Um, yeah. I have a very, very solid lifestyle for somebody that has no college debt, but it is an awkward, you know, when I'm out at a networking event in person and somebody's like, Oh, where'd you go to school? I'm like, well, I went to UNC Charlotte, but only for a year. And so I've kind of, as I've gotten older, I've let go of that, but yeah. there are some moments where it's a little bit awkward, but I don't ever feel really embarrassed necessarily just awkward. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, no, I mean, it, sometimes it is, but I'm glad that you've definitely sort of gotten over it and sort of owned it. How would sort of people get in contact with you? So I live on LinkedIn these days. Um, I see you. My... I see your comments. Every, like, <laughs> look, I respect people who I judge people by their comments. Right. And right. in terms of more about how supportive they are, not necessarily the exact words they say, but you're out there, you're supporting. And I see that, look, you're filling your funnel, right? And and you're doing it in such well, a way that it's, gen- that, yeah, you're yeah, doing it in a genuine you know, way. Just, you're just doing <laughs> it and it happens to flip your funnel. And I think you would have done it regardless, but you you are such a supportive person. Well, and the thing, it, I kind of had to, like the whole rest of the world, right? Had to pivot, you know, yeah. the, the whole, the job that I do now is built on meeting people and yeah. it's sort of built on, a face-to-face model and that was taken away from us in March. And so I had to figure out a better way to do it. And LinkedIn has just been such an incredible blessing to me. I'm so thankful, Yeah, but I'm there to be a human first. Yeah. And then no, it's clear. If, that's why if you're anything there. comes from it um, yeah. professionally, then that's cool. But so my name is Ariel Lee, A-R-I-E-L. L E E. There shouldn't be too many of me on there. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty low down on the Google no, search. I, There's some artist somewhere really? that's Ariel Lee. Oh, but, man, that's um, like... but anyway, hopefully I show up one of the top people on LinkedIn. I, I'm so gonna link I'm gonna put your link in the show notes anyway. So okay. they can't miss it. 
So please connect with me. I'm super active, super engaged with my connections. I'm not picky. Or I don't want to say I'm not picky. Like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I'm there all the time. So that's how somebody would hook up with and me. And just the final question I want to ask before we wrap up is that what advice would you have sort of for yourself? You know, you're talking to yourself at 18. What advice would you sort of have for, you know, 18-year-old Ariel? Oh, wow. I probably wouldn't change a thing because I really liked the way my life turned out. So I'm one of those no regrets regrets people. But I think that I would tell 18-year-old Ariel just to believe, believe in yourself and that you're following this path that seems challenging in this moment, but you're going to make make it through all of them. You know, there's there's some scary things that come down the pipe and but all of them lead you to exactly where you're supposed to be. Um and so that's that's what I would tell 18-year-old Ariel. Thank you so much for your time. I know the audience has gotten tremendous value and hopefully I really enjoyed it. I could, you convinced some women to get into car sales. Absolutely. Totally reach out to me if anybody has any follow-up questions. But I loved this. This was my first time. So thank you. First for time being, you're an thank expert. Thank you for being my first time. Yeah. Okay. You're an expert. You're an expert. So have a good one. <laughs> Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash No Degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name, I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. Nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if you didn't know, now you know, let's sing that again everybody, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, we're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve them. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.